Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online and our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. Won't you join me for a word of prayer? Eternal God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Inspire our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures which have been read and your word which is to be proclaimed, we might hear with joy what you say to us today. In the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. You see the title in the bulletin, Formed and Transformed, but I must begin with a confession. I've never been a big fan of the Transfiguration of the Lord Sunday. Admittedly, I've been one of many saying, what is this passage? I don't enjoy it. I mean, it's always read to me as a so what portion of the gospel. So sure, Jesus goes up on a mountain and is transfigured, whatever that's supposed to mean. And then after this transcendent moment, they just come right back down the mountain like nothing happened. I mean, okay. (laughs) I've always struggled with what is it that readers are supposed to get from this story. Furthermore, how does Jesus' transfiguration make a difference in our present world? What does Jesus' transfiguration have to say about the ongoing genocide in Palestine or in Congo? What does the transfiguration have to say about corrupt leaders in the church and in politics, which are really more connected than we may want to admit? What does Jesus' transfiguration have to do with pervasive and enduring and gratuitous anti-blackness, even when it comes from the hands of well-meaning white liberals? What am I supposed to do with this? More than that, what does any of this have to do with with me, with Corwin? How does Jesus' transfiguration help me to heal my broken or strained friendships? How, How does it help to cure my grandmother's fleeting memories and her dwindling functions as she grapples with the effects of a dementia diagnosis? How does it help me pay rent, Lord have mercy, in a city like this one? I mean, is it going to transfigure my bank account? Yet this week, I've been a little bit more grateful, a little bit more humble, a little bit more astute to sit with the story more intimately, and I have encountered a new joy with it. Interestingly enough, this story does not appear early in Jesus' gospel ministry. In fact, Jesus' ministry has been well underway by this point. By this time in Mark's gospel, Jesus had already healed a man with an unclean spirit, already healed a man with leprosy, already healed someone with mobility issues. He'd already taught in parables the sower and the mustard seed. He'd already calmed the stormy seas. Prior to this dramatic moment of Jesus' transfiguration, he'd already cast out a a legion of demons into some pigs nearby. He'd already been rejected at Nazareth. He's already fed the multitude. He's already walked on water. And yet it's after all of this that the Bible tells us that Jesus now takes Peter, James, and John up with him to a high mountain to pray, and he's transfigured before them. It strikes me that after having taught the crowds and healed the sick and performed miracles on miracles, 
that at this point in the gospel, we're told that Jesus is transformed on the mountaintop. And it's quite the theatrical story, isn't it? I mean, sometimes it reads to me almost like that big transformation scene at the end of Beauty and the Beast. Scripture tells us they're on this high mountain and Jesus' clothes become dazzling white, brighter than any dry cleaners on earth could whiten them. Not only that, as the First Nations indigenous translation reads, now his ancestors, Elijah and Moses, appear alongside him. He's floating almost in the air, big and white. And the disciples are so shocked and terrified at seeing this that the scriptures tell us they say to Jesus, oh, goody, it's so good that we're here for this. And they try to set up tents. They, they try to contain and grab hold of the eternal. And, and I can't blame them. If I were to see someone transformed so dramatically in front of me, I'd want to find out what else they could do. In traditional interpretations, biblical scholars write how in this transfiguration, Jesus is transformed into a new divine figure, perhaps one that's not even of this world any longer. They write about how Jesus becomes something else, becomes something new, becomes something other. Most times I've heard this passage taught or preached, and there's always this focus on the disciples' reaction, on their response to the transfiguration, particularly their desire to capture the moment, to capture this glimpse of glory, and arguably to contain it, to confine it. And this is a very rich and a very generative interpretation of the scripture, and one with which I think we are always invited to linger. But this morning, I want to offer us a different focus. Sure, I think this passage shows us how Jesus is transformed into something other and something more. But what if Jesus is not being transformed into something new, but is in fact becoming more aligned with who Jesus has always already been? What if this passage shows us how Jesus actually becomes more of himself, becomes more aligned with his true essence, becomes more true to himself? After all, this is the same Jesus who's already been performing miracles all around Judea. It's the same Jesus who's already turned a child's lunchable into a banquet for thousands. It's the same Jesus who's already healed, already delivered, already transformed everyone else. I'm, I'm not really sure what kind of transformation is happening here because it seems like he's always been pretty godlike before this moment. But that's just it. How might we engage this scripture, not as Jesus becoming something or someone different, but in fact being transformed into a more divine and aligned transformation, manifestation of who the divine has always known Jesus to be? Could it be, my sisters and brothers and siblings, that in this moment the Jesus who at once has already been formed is now given the permission and the space and the blessing to be transformed. In other words, I don't think this is a story about Jesus being reformed or made over, but rather about more deeply and wholly and divinely transformed. Say amen. Say it like you mean it. <laughs> All of my siblings and I have been singers since birth. 
Three out of the four of us were in the same show choir in high school. I know, don't judge the show choir. <laughs> and one gift of being in the show choir was that during one's senior year, one got to have what we called the senior solo, a song of your own choosing that you performed at the spring concert. And this moment was given to every senior to mark their transition of their forthcoming graduation, their maturation, their transformation. I found over the years that one song selection really tells a lot about that person, even subconsciously. When it came time for my younger sibling, Riz, who has given me permission to talk about them today, when it came time to perform their senior solo, they selected the song, I Am Changing, from the musical Dream Girls. Anybody Dream Girls? Okay, I have a witness. They sang, I Am Changing, and I was blessed to accompany them on the piano. This same younger sibling, now a decade after singing that song, on February 1st of this month, underwent top surgery. Now bears the pronouns he and him. What began as a declaration 10 years ago, I am changing, has manifested in Riz as his own transfiguration. My younger brother is becoming more true to who he has always been, not becoming someone new. The second verse of that song seems even more fitting now, where the lyrics profess, I am changing, seeing everything so clear. I'm changing. I'm going to start right now, right here. I'm hoping to work it out, and I know that I can, but I need you. I need a hand. For the very first words of the song, however, are perhaps the most appropriate way in which we are invited to engage transforming. The song begins with the invitation, look at me, look at me, I am changing. To look, to see, to witness, to look at someone we love or even to look more closely at ourselves is the first invitation of transformation. It begins with an honest and a caring seeing, an intentional witnessing, a radical then acceptance of what we see, of what we feel, and what is within. Although not considered canonical scripture, this passage reminds me of one of my favorite quotations from the Gospel of Thomas. If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Look at me. Look at me. It's just one example of how we too are invited to transform. Riz, just like Jesus, is not becoming someone new or someone different. Perhaps just like Jesus, the outward appearance, his outward expression, is becoming more fully aligned with what was already an inward reality. But in earnest, this transformation is him being seen more clearly by the others around him like he truly is and like he's always been. And it is divine, it is holy, and as the scriptures suggest, it is more true. Say amen again. Amen. Perhaps at this point of the sermon, you are sitting there like me at the beginning of the sermon saying, okay, preacher, transfiguration, transformation, changes, so what? 
I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) The invitation to us and the good news for us is that maybe, just maybe, God is also waiting on us to allow ourselves to transform. Maybe, just just maybe, our closest loved ones and our closest friends are also waiting on us to live into the potential that they can already discern is within inside us. Maybe, just maybe, even our ancestors, and maybe even yet those unborn, are waiting for us to surrender ourselves to our own transformation. Now, 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 make no mistake about it, it is risky business to be transformed. There will always be those who are not happy with us leaning into our deepest and truest selves. Yeah, there will always be people who know us one way and who refuse to witness our evolution, who refuse to affirm our true belovedness. Yes, it it requires courage and wisdom and grace to move beyond the limitations of how we are formed and to fully allow ourselves to be transformed, yet and still The invitation is here to be transformed. Who will you become? In what ways are you willing to be transformed? What is already burning deep on the inside of you that's just waiting to spring forth? What will you, as a church, allow this space to become? How will you allow it, surrender it to being transformed? Toward which statues are you unwilling to bow? Toward which institutions are you unwilling to bend over backwards? In the face of which consequences are you still willing to become? Even if you don't know if you'll be rescued, even if you don't know what's on the other side, what situations will you still not allow? Who do you see yourself becoming? What what is God calling you to be? Who are you willing to become? Who will will we become? Will we sit idly by and stay silent on genocide and war, or will we become? Will we allow others to be marginalized or targeted because of gender identity or sexual lives or identity and expressions, or will we become? Will we permit our families to stay perpetrators of white supremacy even at the dinning table or will we become? Will we bow down to capitalistic institutions of violence and greed or will we become? Will we give ourselves over to violence and meanness and selfishness or will we become? Will we fall prey to the temptations and the ills and the isms and the phobias that distance us from ourselves and distance us from our neighbors or will we become? Finally, When we return to the last part of the gospel story, we see that Jesus does not transform outside of community. Not only is Jesus witnessed by his closest friends, you remember, oh goody, it's so good for us to be here. And not only do the ancestors appear to offer their support, but God too has something to say. The scriptures tell us that God speaks from the heavens. This is my son, the beloved, listen to him. At the sight of Jesus' transformation, God affirms his belovedness. And if you recall, those of you who go to Sunday school, this, this is not the first time God has spoken from the heavens. 
Scripture tells us that it was at Jesus' baptism that the heavens open up and the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove and a voice from the heavens is heard, this is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. In other words, God affirms Jesus both at his site of formation, baptism, and his site of transformation. For it's in baptism that we are marked as God's own. In baptism, we too become the beloved who want to make God well-pleased. And in response to us saying yes to God, the grace of God has already said yes to us. And so it is the same at our place of transformation. We too become even more of God's divine and God's beloved children. Jesus' closest loved ones witness his transformation and say, amen. Jesus' ancestors witness his transformation and say, amen. And God, God's self, witnesses Jesus' transformation, witnesses Jesus becoming even more aligned with who God hoped Jesus would become. And the divine is so excited that she breaks through the clouds and the heavens just to say, Amen. In Jesus' transfiguration, he is not alone. His loved ones are there with him. The ancestors are there with him. And somebody say, hallelujah. While we're transforming, we are not alone. For God is with us. Even if institutions aren't happy with us, God is with us. Even if we feel scared and lonely and left out, God is with us. Even if they throw us into the fire or cast us into exile or kick us off the committee, God is with us. When we transform, we see that God is with us in our moments of distress and confusion. When we transform, we see God is with us in our difficulty and our stress. When we transform, we see that God is with us in our lonely mornings and in our sleepless nights. Say amen. God is with us in both the church and outside of the church. Say amen. God is with us in our trials and celebrations. Say amen. amen. God is with us in our love and in our grief. Amen. God is with us in our joys and in our sorrows. God is with us in our ups and in our downs. It does not yet appear what we shall be. And the one who has created us, the one who made us and fashioned us in the beginning, the one who loved us into being, the one who created us and sustains us is the same one with us now and the same one who will be with us when we transform, the same one who will be outstretched and overjoyed and breaking through the clouds, applauding us over the balcony of heaven just to say amen. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at you, look at this world. And when you feel safe and supported and affirmed, yield to transformation, surrender to transfiguration. We'll all be here with you, here to call you beloved and here to say, Amen. In the name of the one who was and is and is to come. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. 
The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary, as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.